And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter four. We're in a series called Spiritual Burnout. And I want to talk to you today about grieving the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe that when a Christian who is dedicated to the Lord, when a Christian that's on fire for Jesus, that's, that's got a, a regular prayer time, I believe that when you and I grieve the Holy Spirit, that we are the first ones to know it because I believe that we get a sinking feeling inside, like, hey, we just missed it. And dear ones, I, I've just noticed as a pastor over the years that when people begin to burn out spiritually, one of the things that happens is they'll begin grieving the Holy Spirit. And let, let me say this to you. If you feel like you're burning out, everybody listen to me. If you feel like you're burning out, it's so important that you draw aside and get quiet before God. Just quiet your heart, quiet your emotions. Turn off the television, take your cell phone, put it in a different room. Amen. Turn off the internet, get quiet before the Lord, meditate in the scripture, and then just get quiet and see if the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. Sometimes you'll hear that still small voice of the Holy Ghost, and sometimes you won't. But that's beside the point. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten quiet before the Lord, and I don't hear a thing. And yet, I notice the supernatural strength is mine. Oh, I don't notice it at that moment. But when I get up and leave that place, I have spent time waiting in the presence of the Lord. And there's something about that that God likes. Because those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary and they'll walk and not faint. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. This is from the... New King James Version, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve. That word grieve here means to cause injury, to cause distress, literally to bruise someone or something. Did you know that you can cause injury and distress to God? You say, I don't, he, he's God, how can I do that? It's because this God that we serve, this Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for us, he sent us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. <laughs> and he's a person and you can either live in a way that respects him, you can live in a way that honors him or you can live in a way that dishonors him. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, we're sealed. The, the Holy Spirit is our down payment on all eternity. Somebody asked, do you really believe that there's a heaven? Yes, I know there's a heaven because the Holy Ghost is my down payment on heaven. He's my down payment on all eternity. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he gives me love and joy and peace and long suffering and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith. And he brings the gifts of the Spirit to us and he brings his his presence and he's the heavenly comforter yes there is a holy ghost and yes there is a heaven amen he's the seal we're sealed for the day of redemption verse 31 
Look at the things in this verse that, that grieve, that cause injury to the Holy Spirit. He says, let all bitterness, did you know bitterness causes injury to the Holy Spirit? Bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. Bitterness is severe unforgiveness. And wrath, the word that's here translated wrath means exploding rage, turbulent agitation, impulsive outburst of anger that grieves the Holy Spirit. And then if that wasn't enough, he, he mentions anger again. And then he says, Clamor. Clamor is, is, is a loud quarreling between two people or more people. Loud quarreling and evil speaking. Be put away from you along with all malice. You know, malice is when you, you have intention to do evil and you follow through with it. And look at how we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's some things. If you, if you want to live a life that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 32, and be kind to one another if you don't want to grieve the spirit of god put on the kindness perspective make up your mind you're going to be kind to other people whether they're kind to you or not somebody say hallelujah i don't hear too many hallelujahs there <laughs> and be kind to one another now watch this tender hearted if you want to live a life that doesn't grieve the holy ghost then say lord would you just put some tenderizer on my heart lord god i want my heart to be tender and supple and sensitive to you and sensitive to how i can be a blessing to other people he says for giving there are two marks of a real christian we're giving and we're for giving forgiving one another even as god in christ forgave you you know uh, I was about I don't know 11 12 years of age and my dad surprised me he came home from work on a Friday he says son let's go to the high school football game I said great so we went over to what is now Gene Cox Stadium and we watched Leon High School play Rickards High School and man it was a great first quarter but about the second quarter I got a little bored and I saw one of my buddies there he was also about 11 or 12 years of age and he was a he was a little guy but he was one of these mischievous kind of guys and you know I enjoyed him but there are some things I didn't enjoy about him one of the things I didn't enjoy is this guy was always hitting you he was always you ever been around somebody like that I mean anytime we'd get to with one another he'd be popping me in the arm or hitting me behind the head or hitting me in the back and he did that a couple times and I said dad we're gonna we're gonna go over and see what's offered at the at the uh, at the refreshment place whatever whatever it was so, yeah the concession stand thank you so we're walking to the concession stand and we're getting behind the, the bleachers you know how it is over there we got behind the bleachers and he hauled off and he popped me behind the head and I thought there's no no reason for that so I popped him back so now he pops me in the back, and I popped him back. Then he jumps on me. I mean, he just jumps on me. He's doing a, a bear hug, you know. And so I finally got him off, and I just jumped on him. All this is going on behind the bleachers, and then I felt a man's hand on the back of my neck, and he cut off my air. And I was gagging to to breathe and I heard this man said why don't you pick on somebody your own size you bully and he pushed me to the ground 
And as I lay this, this asphalt there behind the, or it used to be, behind those bleachers, and I remember looking up and I saw this boy's daddy taking his hand. And this boy and his daddy made their way to the parking lot. Maybe he was afraid after he realized that he had assaulted a minor, but they took off. And I'll be honest with you, my neck hurt for the next couple of weeks. And I began laying in bed at night. Now, I didn't mean to hurt this boy. We were just playing. And I wasn't trying to be a bully to him. But I've been laying in bed at night thinking, I wish my father had seen you do that. And then my next thought was, you know, one day I'm going to grow up. And I'm going to find you in a dark alley. <laughs> and oh, that felt good to think those thoughts. Well, you know, dear ones, here's the truth. When you and I hold on to bitterness, it does a couple of things for us. Number one, it, it, it affects our identity because we begin seeing ourselves as the person who was wronged. We see ourselves as the innocent one and, and we justify our sense of self-pity. And number two, we start thinking thoughts of revenge and it gives us a, a daily shot of adrenaline. Did you know that when you think about revenge, that causes the adrenaline, adrenaline to flow and it feels kind of good but all the while let me tell you what happens bitterness will poison your soul well at the age of 17 I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah he changed me from the inside out I'm going to tell you something I needed to be changed I needed the grace of God I needed the blood of Jesus Christ to set me free and to, and, and, and to cleanse all my sins I needed a new way to go no telling where I, it, it scares me to think what have happened to me what would have happened if I hadn't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ it scares me to think what direction I might have gone in well I told you this story before when I when, when I was in high school I've come to know the Lord now and I'm in a British literature class and Mrs. Stallworth at Rickards High School was the was the teacher and we're, we're studying books like Beowulf and these hard to understand old English worded books and I got the great idea hey you know what the King James Version of the Bible is British literature now it was 1611 it wasn't in the 8th century, but I went to, to, to Mrs. Stallworth and I said, I'd like to contract with you to read the King James Version of the Bible instead of some of these other books. And to my surprise, she said, yes, you can. And so the first books I contracted to read were First and Second Samuel. And then I remember reading the book of Ephesians and I sat in class because she would give us reading time in class and everybody else is, is slugging through these old English novels and I'm reading Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Dear ones, when it comes to forgiving, even as God in Christ has forgiven us, it's been a hard lesson for me. And it may not be a hard lesson for you, but it's been a hard lesson for me because when I forgive, even as God in Christ has forgiven me, I'm giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Number one, 
I'm giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Number two, I'm not only giving up my right, but I'm accepting the payment for the un- injustice that was done, for the hurt and the pain. I'm saying, I'm going to tear up the IOUs. You owe me nothing. I'm going to pay the price for that. And then number three, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you never get found out. I pray that what you did, nobody will ever know about. And I pray that God will bless your socks off. I pray that God will bless your health and bless your family and bless your finances and bless your work and bless your job and your cash flow and your home and your, and your children and your grandchildren. I just pray that nobody will ever know and God will wipe it out of his books too. That's what it means to forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Dear ones, let me share with you seven things that forgiveness is not, okay? Seven things that forgiveness is not. In other words, number one, when you forgive someone, you're not approving of what they did, okay? When you forgive them, you're not approving of what they did. You know, when the woman was taken in adultery and brought to Jesus, Jesus didn't look at her and say, well, adultery is really not that bad, That's not what he said. He says, woman, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Number two, when you forgive someone, you aren't excusing what they did and you're not justifying what they did. See, God never calls evil good. He never calls sin good. And he never gets those things confused. And you and I can't do it either. Wrong is wrong and right is right. Number three, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. For two people to be reconciled, both people have got to want to bury the hatchet and be reconciled. Many times, dear ones, there are people that will do you wrong and they will never ever admit it. There are people who will lie and cheat and steal and do all kinds of things against you and they will never ever even come to grips with what they've done or even if they do. They don't want to be reconciled. And so it takes two people. And forgiveness is not always reconciliation. Number four, forgiveness is not denying what happened. Forgiveness admits what happens. Here's here's the problem. When I was a young pastor, I heard a fellow who was a pastor named Larry Lee preach on forgiveness and he made this statement and I wrote it down he said we need to set our will on forgiveness because as we walk through this life there's some people that are going to treat us wrong and so I wrote that down and I began to pray it I said Lord help me to set my will on forgiveness and of course Jesus said the word to forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven us we're to pray our father forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us So I did that. I set my will on forgiveness. And so when somebody said or did something that brought pain into my life, I was quick to, I may not say it to their face because they, I'll tell you, if somebody doesn't know they hurt you, you don't need to go tell them they hurt you. I mean, if if you do, you really want a pound of flesh. That's what you're trying to get. But if somebody said or did something that hurt me, often I would just say it before the Lord, Lord, I forgive them. I release them. I let them off the hook. But what I didn't do is I didn't deal with the pain that would come. You see, you see, real forgiveness deals with the pain. You don't just push it down inside you. 
And for years, I would forgive people, but I would take the pain, the hurt, and I would push it down inside and I would act like it wasn't there. Now, I got by with that for probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years. But at some point in time, dear ones, if you keep pushing negative emotions down inside, they're going to come to the surface. And they're going to come to the surface in a way that you don't want them to. And I found myself having this intense anger. And I could be just as peaceful and happy one moment. And the next moment, this anger was coming forth. And I'm thinking, where's that coming from? Here's where it was coming from. I had been pushing down all the yucky things that people had said and done and the events of life. I had been pushing it down and pushing it down. And dear ones, the reason I pushed it down is because I did not want to feel the pain. It's gotten quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. But dear ones, there's pain. And sometimes when you forgive, you're having to forgive somebody for bringing pain into your life. Somebody's brought rejection into your life. That person that, that fired you from that job, that, that person that divorced you, that, 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 that in-law that said what they said, that business partner that stole from you. Come on. Am I in the right place this morning? You can't just push that stuff down inside. Here's what you got to do. You got to cry out for God's grace. God, I don't have the human ability to forgive. I don't have the human ability to go forward. But Lord, I cry out for your grace. Your grace is sufficient for me. See, the writer of Hebrews says some fall short of the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 12, you don't want to fall short of the grace of God, especially when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Number five, forgiveness is not pretending that you're not hurt. When Jesus was arrested, the high priest's servant took Jesus and slapped him upside the head. And Jesus didn't act like it didn't hurt. Jesus turned to him and says, why did you hit me? That hurt. And yet, even hanging on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Number six, forgiveness does not mean that you again allow others to abuse you and to control you. Did you hear me? When you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you're going to make yourself vulnerable to their manipulation again. Let me read to you what Paul said said to Timothy. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. He says, Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Have you ever had somebody that did you much harm? Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. That was, that was proof positive that Paul had forgiven him. I'm going to let God deal with him. Verse 15. But you also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. In other words, Timothy, don't put yourself in a position to be vulnerable to Alexander the coppersmith. Now, dear ones, I wish that as you and I go through life, that we would never meet anybody like Alexander the coppersmith. But I'm telling you, there are all kinds of people like Alexander the coppersmith, and you can forgive them, but you don't have to make yourself vulnerable to them. Amen? Number seven, when we forgive, I want you to hear this. We aren't really letting the other person off the hook. What we're doing is when we forgive, we're transferring that person from our hook over to God's hook. Somebody say hallelujah. 
Romans chapter 12. Paul says, listen to these words. Romans 12, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And ultimately, when you and I forgive, it really comes down to you and I exercising faith in God and saying, God, I believe you to, 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 to balance the scales. God, I believe you to fight my battle. God, I believe you to prepare a table before me in the presence of people that are treating me like an enemy. God, I'm believing you to make Isaiah 54, 17 come to, come to pass in my life that no weapon formed against me can prosper. Every tongue lifted against me. I shall show to be in the wrong. This is my heritage and my righteousness is of God. How do you show those who talk about you unjustly, those who lie about you, those that get on social media and say things they shouldn't do? How do you show them to be in the wrong? You give it over to God. You say, God, I'm going to let you fight my battles because the battle is not mine. The battles is the Lord. And I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let them off my hook and I'm going to put them on your hook. And God, you deal with them. Amen. Hallelujah. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. How does God in Christ forgive us? Think about this for a minute. How does God in Christ forgive you? Well, number one, when he forgives you, he lets go of your sins, doesn't he? He lets them go. In fact, Jeremiah Jeremiah prophesied about the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, verse 34, listen to this. He says, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Their sin I will remember no more. I'm going to say it again. Their sin I'm going to remember no more. Now, how does that work? Because God is omniscient. He knows everything about everybody. He knows everything that's going on. How in the world can he not remember anything if he's omniscient? I believe it works this way. I believe that God in his omniscience chooses not to bring my sins and your sins to his mind ever again. Hallelujah. Clara Barton. Anybody ever heard of Clara Barton? She started the Red Cross she was a committed believer, and somebody had treated her very badly, and Sarah, Clara Barton had a hard time forgiving this person, but she worked her way through it, and she forgave this person, and she began praying God's blessings upon this person. Several years went by, and a family member said, hey, Clara, do you remember when so-and-so treated you so badly? And Clara Barton said these words. I love it. She says, I distinctly remember forgiving that person, and I distinctly remember trying to forget. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let me illustrate this. Take your Bibles, turn to, to Luke chapter 15. I think, I think maybe the, this, the parable of the prodigal shows us the heart of God, shows us the heart of God. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. 
It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, mind you, no decent Jewish boy is going to be anywhere close to any pigs. But this boy is feeding the pigs. That's how low he's fallen. Verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. Everybody, I want you to, here's this boy. He's taken a third of his daddy's estate. In Israel at that time, the youngest boy or the youngest child got a third and the oldest boy got two-thirds if there were two children. So he's gotten a third of his daddy's estate. He's gone to a distant country. He's devoured it on prostitutes and drugs and alcohol and it's all gone. There's a famine. He goes up to a local farmer and says, hey, can I work for you? So he puts him in the fields, slopping the hogs. And the Bible says, look at verse 17. He begins to think at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. I'll go home to my father. Everybody look at me. Everybody open your heart, open your ears to me. There are people who have walked with Jesus. There are people who've attended church over the years. There are people who've loved the Lord, but something has happened. Maybe they went through a divorce. Maybe their best friend betrayed them. Maybe, maybe somebody stole from them. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they went bankrupt. Maybe they suffered from an illness. I don't know what happened, but they kind of burn out and they quit walking with the Lord and they went to a far country and maybe they got into wasteful living. Maybe they spent money on prostitutes. Maybe they've been drugging. Maybe they've been in alcohol. But I'm going to tell you something. They're still thinking about the Father. They're still thinking about God. They're still thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. They're still thinking about the Father's house and they think, I wonder if I could go back. But the old devil says, God doesn't want you. Look at what you've done. God doesn't want anything to do with you. But I'm here to tell you that this whole parable is it, it, Jesus taught it because lost people matter to God and I don't care where you went I don't care how long you've been there I don't care what you've been engaged in I want you to know the steadfast love of the Lord never his mercies never it, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is his faithfulness can you say hallelujah so the boy the boy he says to himself at home, verse 17, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm, not long, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. Now, I want you to pay attention. A hired servant, that was a day laborer. He says, I, I, I want to be one of those people, Dad, that 
that early in the morning that you go and pick up and put in the back of your pickup truck and they come and work in your fields and then you pay them at the end of the day and you take them back where you picked them up from. And some days they've got work and some days they don't. Dad, I'm willing to become a hired day laborer, a hired servant. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, everybody say long way. He was a long way off. His father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So now he gets his little speech out. I don't know that his father listened to it. Verse 22. But his father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Quick, quick. What is the father doing? I want you to know verse 20. It says he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, he was way down the road. The boy hadn't yet come into town. The boy hadn't yet come back to the farm. Here's the boy. He left. Man, he thought he was something. He had a lot of money. He was really he was he was living the dream but now he comes back and he's dressed in rags and he smells like pigs he smells like slop and the father looks at his boy and he goes and he hugs him and he kisses him and i'm sure the father is saying "Woo, man this boy stinks the boy is trying to give his speech father i've sinned i'm not worthy to be called your son and the father's not listening to him he says quickly go back to the house get a robe put it on this boy Get that robe, get those shoes, get that ring. And he puts that robe over those rags the boy is wearing. So now as the boy walks through town, nobody can tell he's been in the pig pen unless they get too close. Everybody looks at him and he's wearing the father's robe. I just want to submit to you that the moment you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, that the moment you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the father, the father takes his robe. It's a robe of righteousness. And the father puts his robe on you. Oh, you may still be smelling like the world. You may be still smelling like a pig pen. You may, your, your, your clothes underneath that robe may just be, just be trash. But dear ones, the Father has put his robe on you. God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for you and me that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. That's the way the Father loves. He puts his robe on our stinky clothes. Not only that, his Father said, bring the finest robe, verse 22. Put it on him, and then he says, get a ring for his finger. I just want to submit to you, this just wasn't just any old piece of jewelry. He, he actually says, I want you to bring my signet ring, and I want you to put it on the boy, because that signet ring was like having a debit card, <laughs> a debit card that had a lot of money behind it. He says, you put my signet ring behind it because my signature is, 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 at least my initials are on that signet ring. And everywhere that boy goes, he can go to any store in town and he can take that signet ring and he can put it down and make a wax impression. And that merchant knows that I'm gonna make it good. Hallelujah. I want you to know, when you get saved, when you come into the family of God, God doesn't just leave you and abandon you. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll 
I'll never forsake you. Hallelujah. He says, I'm going to supply all your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. David says, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. Hallelujah. He cares about you. He, he's looking for somebody that's going to respond in faith in him, though. He's looking for somebody that's going to say, God, I believe you. He says, get a ring for his finger and bring some sandals for his feet. I don't want anybody to know how low my boy is sunk. I don't want anybody to know about his past sins. I don't want anybody to know. I want to cover it. I'm so glad that God covers our sins. I'm so glad that he doesn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. I'm so glad for the mercy of the Lord. I'm so glad for the forgiveness of Jesus. I'm so glad for the grace of God. Hallelujah. Verse 23, he says, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He is lost, but now he's found. So the party began. And meanwhile, the older boy was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants what was going on. He says, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Verse 28. The older brother was angry. Everybody say angry. It's one of the things that grieves the Holy Spirit, remember? The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Now watch verse 30. Yet when this son of yours, he didn't say when my brother he didn't say when my sibling he says when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes you celebrate by killing the fattened calf guys the older brother wants revenge the older brother wants payment for what his younger brother has done and I just want to suggest to you that this would have been a perfect moment for the dad to take the older boy aside and put his arm around him and said, you know, he's really been a scoundrel, hadn't he? That brother of yours has really embarrassed us. That brother of yours has stolen from me and spent it on drugs and alcohol and prostitutes. And we're really ashamed of him, aren't we? But the daddy didn't do that. I'm going to tell you something. The accuser of the brethren... Satan is the accuser of the brethren and the devil will accuse you to yourself and he will accuse others about you dear ones there are times that old spirit of judgment will try to come upon you and you'll look at another person and you'll think something negative you just got to know that didn't come from the Holy Ghost somebody said well I have the gift of discernment well, discernment is not the same thing as suspicion. If you've got the gift of discernment of spirits, which is what 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of, then the first thing you're going to discern is the Holy Ghost. The second thing you're going to discern are the angels of God because there's two-thirds as many angels as there are those that turn into demons. Some people just think discernment, oh, i got to discern a demon over here. There's a... Spirit of darkness over here. 
Folks, discernment of spirits is real. But if you really have discernment working, you're going to discern the Holy Ghost. You're going to discern the presence of angels. You're going to discern the presence of the Lord. I don't know how I got off on that, but. <laughs> Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. You need to underline that in your Bibles. Everything I've got is yours you don't have to wait for me to die. You don't have to wait to get the inheritance. Everything I've got is yours. There's a God in heaven that wants to remind you this morning that everything he has is yours. And Jesus has already paid the price at Calvary. Sometimes we sit around and we say, oh God, would you please heal me? Would you please heal me? Would you please come through? Would you please do something about this? I'm telling you, he's already done something about it. Because on the cross, Jesus said it is finished hallelujah forgiveness of sins is available healing is available supply and provision and prosperity is available hallelujah his father said to him look dear son you've always stayed with me and everything i have is yours in other words son you, you could be killing these these fatted calves anytime you wanted to and having a party Verse 32, we had to celebrate this happy day. Boy, I want you to understand, we had to celebrate this happy day for, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And go back with me to verse 23 because this is how he seals the deal. He says, kill the calf we've been fattening. We've got to celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Dear ones, like a lot of kids as they're growing up, they, they, they don't really respect and honor the parents. What I've noticed with all three of our daughters, it wasn't until after they got married, it wasn't until after they started having children that they started saying, boy, mom and dad, I really appreciate everything you did for me. Well, I really appreciate all that you sacrificed for me. You know, there's nothing like, like them going through some sleepless nights with that newborn to realize that you can't program babies. They are their own beings. They're gonna do what they wanna do. This younger boy, and maybe even the older boy, they didn't know how much they were like the father. What did the younger boy do? He says, give me my share of the inheritance. I want to go party. What did the older boy criticize his dad for? You've never given me a calf so we could have a party. What did the daddy want to do when the younger boy came by back? He says, let's have a party. Do ones, all three of them really like to have parties. They just weren't in touch with each other. They all like to, to, to have a good time and to make merry. It's just that the older, the youngest boy didn't know how to do it in a righteous way. He was going off and partying in a way that was going to kick him in the head and destroy his life. But do ones, I want you to know there's a righteous way to have fun. There's who do you think created fun? It wasn't the devil. Who do you think created a merry heart? The prophet said, the Lord your God rejoices over you with singing. In fact, he goes on and says, the Lord this morning is dancing over you. He's having a party over you. God loves you. He's excited about you. He's not a sad sack. He's not saying, oh, there she goes again. He loves you. And he likes to have parties. Woo! 
Himalaya. That's really high praise now. Amen. Glory to God. Long time ago, there's a book written called The Hiding Place. It's a story of the Ten Boom family. Some of you remember, barely, what happened in the 1930s as Hitler's Nazi war machine began marching all around Europe. When they came into Holland, the very first thing they did is they started arresting Jewish people, sending them to concentration camps. The Ten Boom family, they had a business and they lived on the second floor above the business and they had an attic and they began hiding Jewish people in the attic of their home. But somebody told them, told about them and they were arrested and all, member, all four members of the Ten Boom family, the mom and the dad and Corey and her sister Betsy were arrested and they were all sent to concentration camps and Betsy and Corey were sent to Ravensbrook. Corey said that when they got off the train and were put into the induction center at Ravensbrook, the first thing they did is they made all the women remove their clothing, every stitch of clothing they had on. And she said she could still remember that pile of dirty dresses and shoes under things. And she said there was the worst animal-like Nazi officer who was leering at the women, saying unkind things to him, having his way with those he wanted to. She said it was utterly disgusting. She said her younger sister, Betsy, was more frail than she and Betsy didn't hold up well and that officer who was in charge of disrobing all of those women he was in charge of her barracks and he made life unbelievably difficult for them and she said he contributed to Betsy's early death her mama died in the concentration camp her daddy died the only one that survived by war's end was Corey Ten Boom and Corey was a Christian and she went to God in prayer and she said the only thing God would say to her about all her ordeal and losing her family and losing their home and losing their business and losing everything was forgive. And over a couple of years, Corey Ten Boom learned to forgive even as God in Christ had forgiven her. Or so she thought. She was going around to churches around Europe and in 1949, she was in Munich, Germany, and she spoke in a, in a Lutheran church, and she shared her testimony, and she shared the word of forgiveness. And she said after the service that day, there were people that came forward to talk to her. And to her horror, she looked out, and in the line of people waiting to see her was that officer at Ravensbrook who had disrobed all the women who had raped some of them, who had assaulted them, who had contributed to the death of her sister. There he was waiting to speak with her. She says in those moments she forgot everything that people were saying to her. She smiled and shook their hands, but in her mind she was back in Ravensbrook. She was reliving the pain 
of all that she had gone through. She says, by this time, this man was standing in front of her. And he says, ah, Fraulein, thank you for reminding us that our sins are now in the bottom of the sea. Fraulein, I did not know Jesus Christ during the war, but after the war, someone introduced me to Christ, and I'm so glad that he lives inside me, and I'm so glad I'm a new creature in Christ, and I'm so glad that my sins are forgiven, and Fraulein, and he put out his hand, and Corey said that everything inside her wanted to run away. In fact, what she really wanted to do was slap him. He puts out his hand, and she says it seemed like a couple hours went by. It was really only a few seconds. And she said she knew that forgiveness starts as a decision, that our emotions may or may not be a part of it. And Corey Ten Boom said she put out her hand and said, I forgive you. And she said when she said that, it was like the Holy Ghost. And she said it was like the day of Pentecost. She said it was like a rushing mighty wind. It was like a fire came upon her. And she said she was filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank God for grace. Now, dear ones, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience is that I can forgive somebody today. And a couple of hours later, I might remember, I might hear a song or I might read something or something reminds me of what they did and I've already forgiven them and yet I'm experiencing those emotions again and I get angry and I, I feel frustrated and I feel hurt. And she said that's what started happening to her. She said she couldn't sleep for two weeks after that because she was haunted by the, the face of that man and it had taken her back to those years in the concentration camp and all the injustice and all the cruelty and, and all the brutalization that they went through. And she said she, she didn't want to be in unforgiveness, but she didn't know what to do. She said, I went to see a pastor and the pastor asked me, have you forgiven? And I said, yes, I've made that choice. But she says, I get awfully angry on the inside. She says, I'm hurting on the inside. And the pastor looked outside and said, do you see that bell tower? She said, yes, I do. She says, how does that bell ring? She says, well, someone has to pull the rope and the bell will go back and forth and the bell will start ringing. And he says, and what happens when the person lets go of the rope? She says, well, the bell continues to ring, but it's ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, dong. And the pastor said, you know, forgiveness is letting go of the rope. And sometimes we've been pulling that rope really hard. Sometimes we've been thinking about what that person said or what that person did. We've been thinking about that incident and we've been pulling the, the rope so hard that when we do forgive and we let go, that bell is still dinging and donging and we're experiencing those emotions of anger and frustration and hurt. But the more you let it go and the more you confess, I forgive I absorb the cost because they're never going to pay for what they've done. Lord Jesus, just as you absorb my cost on the cross, just as you paid the price for me, I absorb the cost, but I can't do it in and of myself, and I can, only, I can only do it by the grace of God. Come and give me the grace to fully forgive. And the pastor said, after a while, the bell will quit ringing altogether. After a while, your emotions will quit tormenting you let me ask you a couple of questions this morning has the father thrown a party for you 
the father in the story of the prodigal son liked to party. The Lord our God likes to party. That's the reason heaven is filled with worship and filled with praise and filled with music. Filled with dancing because God likes to party. Has he thrown a party for you? Have you repented of your sins? Have you come to faith in Christ? Maybe you've known the Lord, but you've walked away from him for whatever reasons. Maybe somebody treated you wrong. Maybe a preacher, maybe a pastor treated you wrong. Look at me, everybody. Let me stand here as a surrogate for every pastor that's ever pastored. Please forgive me. Please forgive that pastor. See, it's not because people always deserve forgiveness, but it's because you and I deserve to be set free. Maybe you had a husband or a wife that failed you. Maybe you've had a boss that manipulated you. Maybe you're a woman and your boss kept hitting on you and making life miserable. Maybe you feel manipulated. I don't know what's happened in life, but I'm telling you, the cross of Christ is available for you and the blood that Jesus shed will set you free and Jesus will absorb the price for every sin you've committed and that I've committed. Bow your heads, close your eyes. In the stillness of this moment, if you say, Terrell, that's me. I need Jesus in my heart. I need forgiveness of sins. <laughs> I need the grace of God to work inside me. All over this house, just lift your hand up and leave it up till I see it. All over this house, Terrell, that's me. I need the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else today, Terrell, I need the Lord. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Anybody else, Terrell, I need the Lord today. I need the Lord today. Just, stick, just lift your hand and leave it up until I see it. Terrell, I need Jesus today. Yes, thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you, sir. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? All over this house. Yes, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Hebrews chapter 12 warns us, says, don't fall short of the grace of God. We don't want to fall short of his grace. If you just raised your hand, I'm going to ask Pastor Zach to come and stand up here. If you just raised your hand, I want you just to get up from where you're sitting, and I want you to walk right down here, and I want you to pray a prayer with Pastor Zach, and we've got some literature we're going to give you that'll help you. That's it. Come on. Every person that Jesus ever called, he called publicly. The angels are rejoicing this morning. Hallelujah. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.